The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Well, good morning. I am Rod Takata, and I'm currently one of your elders at Bethlehem here at the downtown campus. My wife and I began attending Bethlehem in 1989 when our third of an eventual seven children was a newborn. Now she and her husband have two of our nine grandchildren. I became an elder for the first time sometime in 1993 and have been an elder on and off for, for several years since. This is, however, the first time I've ever stood in this pulpit to preach the Word of God to you. My background as a machinist for 25 years, or a mechanical designer more recently, does not equip me to bring the Word of God to you this morning. But when Pastor Kenny sent an email to the downtown elders with dates, texts in Colossians, and titles, I was compelled to keep a promise I made to the Lord as a new believer in Jesus. I would never say no to an opportunity to serve him. So let me pray for God's Holy Spirit to help us all. O Lord Jesus, I now ask for twin miracles. First, that your Holy Spirit would anoint my words as I attempt to give the sense of your most precious word. Forbid that I should dishonor you by distorting your words or meaning. Instead, guide my heart to properly apprehend your awesome glory so that my mind and mouth can't help but revel in your truth as a demonstration of your beauty and wisdom and gravity. Secondly, I ask that the eyes of the hearts of my hearers would be drawn up into your glorious beauty in such a way that my words become transparent so as to disappear into the background of your luminous brightness. Keep my tongue from evil or error so that we all enjoy more of you as we hear your exhortations to us this morning. As I believe these requests conform to your desires, so I pray them in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. The text was my choice, so I have no one to blame but myself. But as I looked at this passage, a huge problem emerged. Beyond having bitten off more than I could chew, was this, uh, was this problem. If I begin with verse 5 and proceed through verse 9a, I risk giving the impression that these are checklists of sins to avoid in order to, uh, to be acceptable to God and avoid his wrath. That is not the point of Paul's exhortation. 
So I don't want to communicate that either intentionally or unintentionally. So what's the solution? To avoid the problem, I want us to examine verses 5 through 11 in the context of chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Only then will we see the passage for today in its proper context. I will therefore refer to Pastor Kenny's Resurrection Sunday message from, from last week multiple times. My aim is to walk through our text, Colossians 3, 5 through 11, in such a way as to avoid the problem of reducing our new life in Jesus to lists of do's and don'ts while revealing more of the invisible treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden in Jesus, which comes from, the, from earlier in Colossians, Colossians 2, 2 and 3, where Paul describes God's mystery this way, which, the mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Pastor Piper unpacked this for us several weeks ago. With that aim in mind, here's my outline. Number one, the commandment to put to death, verses 5 through 7. Number two, the commandment to put them all away, verses 8 through 9a. And then point number three, two grounding realities. You have, been, you have put off the old self, and have put on the new self, verses 9b through, through 11. Points 1 and 2 begin with a command and include a list of uh, five sins or attitudes that belong to the old life. Point 3 begins with twin statements of reality, followed by another list and then a summary statement. So point 1... I'll read verse 5, says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Since this is a sequel to last week's message, you should probably adjust your expectations likewise. Um, Put to death, therefore clearly connects this with what was stated earlier. So let me read Colossians 3, 1 through 4 again, just to refresh our memory. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will will appear with him in glory. So my first question was, why do I need to put anything to death since I have died and my life is hidden in God? The wrong answer to that question is that having been redeemed and forgiven in Christ, I must now finish the task by my own work and effort. Rather, as Pastor Kenny pointed out to us, 
from verses 1 through 4. Since we have been raised with Christ, keep setting your hearts on the things that are above where Christ is. Keep fixing your minds and affections on things above, not on things on the earth. So when we are instructed to put to death what is earthly, it is to reject the former life centered on earthly things, such as sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness. Christ has freed us from bondage to them when we died with him and our lives were hidden with Christ in God. A burst of brilliant light broke over me when I saw that last Sunday's sermon text was the granite foundation upon which all of Colossians stands. The apostle has, has built towards this pinnacle the Apostle Paul, by circling the idea of a mystery uh, I referred to earlier. The reference I made was, was one in which Paul said the mystery was Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But in the first four verses of Colossians 3, he reveals what was previously hidden and gets at the very heart of the, of the mystery. In Christ's death and resurrection, all those of us who have been redeemed and forgiven not only died with him, but their new lives are hidden with Christ in God. Outsiders can't see your invisible hidden life in Christ. It's as though you have been teleported into a parallel universe you still look and feel mostly the same. Others may look largely the same, but the rules are different. And not everything acts the way you expect. You're able to do the things you could never have dreamed of in the old, in the old universe. In fact, you wouldn't have ever wanted to. This parallel universe of life in Christ is so radically incompatible with the former realm that many of the inclinations, disordered desires, and propensities are simply no longer fitting. But Jesus Christ's death and resurrection has purchased your freedom, and you were transferred into this new realm. The freedom you previously imagined to do whatever you desired now looks like slavery to your old passions. That's new. With this new paradigm of life in Jesus, let's look closer at the list of things to put to death and then answer the question, why I need to put to death anything if I've already died in Christ? Because being transported to this, to this parallel dimension didn't remove us from the former one, we still experience many of the same desires and passions of the old life. Some have referred to this dual-dimensional living as the already-not-yet realm. 
whereas some things are ours already, like forgiveness of sins, new affections, and the everlasting love of Jesus. But some things are not yet ours, like complete freedom from sin and temptation, full redemption with, the, with our new bodies. But now we have divine power to kill old sinful desires. This is one glorious shaft of flaming light shining from the treasures hidden in Christ. Jesus has broken the chains of bondage to those disordered desires. We have the Holy Spirit empowering us to put to death the old self, what remains of it, with its desires and live for Jesus in whom our lives are now hidden. Let that blazing beam of Jesus' beautiful accomplishments break upon you with renewed energy to put to death those lusts that compete for your affections. I think of John Bunyan, who was an English Puritan tinker turned pastor, who was imprisoned for preaching the gospel in 1660, and whose rhyme, just a simple verse, has hit me with such a power, and I think it reinforces Colossians 3, 5, and 6. He says, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly, but gives me wings. God enables what he commands. So take up the wings of the Holy Spirit and see how you can fly in his strength. And I think you will find the truth of what Paul says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As we look at the list further, they could all be related to sexual sin, I suppose, and there seems to be a progression from specific to more general. Sexual immorality to impurity to passion to evil desire and then covetousness or greediness which is idolatry. Now, I suppose it could be possible that sexual sin was something that the Colossians dealt with and was a particular problem, but probably not, since Paul has a habit of grouping these things together when he speaks to other churches, for example, Ephesians 5.3, 
But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. So I'm suggesting he's addressing more than just sexual or sensual sin. But also notice these sins are qualified with a phrase, what is earthly in you. This indicates we're dealing with things that are part of the life before we died with Christ and were regenerated into this new dimension. Another evidence of how radically different life is in this new dimension is how Paul assumes moral authority to command desires. Even sexual desires and passions. How massively countercultural can you get? In our earthly context, desires, especially sexual desires, have progressed from individual private choice to personal preference to one's public identity. No one has the authority, moral or otherwise, to place restrictions on such deeply held feelings or emotions. Instead, our bodies and their members must submit to the desires of our hearts. And it's what characterizes this earthly dimension in which you once operated. But I love the image Pastor Kenny used last week of baptism, which publicly represents a believer's death in Jesus by going under the waters, having their sins washed away in their union with Christ, and while under the water, unable to breathe until they rise up out of the water into new life. In Kenny's own words, I'm going to quote you, Kenny, uh, we go down in this world and we come up in a new world. What a perfect picture. Putting these remaining disordered desires to death breaks the chain of progression to more wayward uh, passions, evil desires, and a kind of insatiable longing that Paul describes as greediness or covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry, a desire to seek satisfaction in anything other than God. It is insidious and deceptive and deadly. We are warned that on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. This, I don't think, is a threat to those who are in Christ, but a warning and a reminder of God's just anger towards those whose passions elevate the value of anything above God and all that he is, he is promised to be for us in Jesus. God put his laser pointer on such a dis- disordered desire that I had that I had relied on that was not God. What God revealed was health care 
That's right, health care. Others may have inordinate desires for personal fitness or just a little more in my retirement account or maybe one more academic credential, none of which is sinful in themselves until they supplant your desire for God. I had to face my deep reliance on health care, on the health care system, and what it offers me. After my metastatic cancer was no longer being controlled by the medication I was on, it was switched to another that seems to be keeping it under reasonable control. After several months, however, the specialty pharmacy called to inform me that the program which had uh, been paying for this medication had ended. They informed me that my copay would be in the upper four figures per month. And I was so shocked. All I could do was mumble that I could not pay, I was not able to pay for the prescription and hang up. I was face to face with a crisis of faith in which I had put the weight of my confidence on my health insurance for my future. I spent a month wrestling with God over my disordered desire for my health insurance to ensure my future rather than God. Eventually, I again found some, some of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Christ, who is my life. And God graciously granted uh, my soul rest in his, in his preeminence. Look at Colossians 1.18. Only then, as sometimes happens, God granted my request and my prescription resumed with the drug manufacturer assuming the cost. My guess is that you could all tell stories of how God has put his loving finger on some desire or lust that you think can only be satisfied by something other than God. But that belongs to your old life in the former world with the Holy Spirit's help put them to death. Point two. Now this point has to be a bit shorter. Colossians 3 8 through 9a. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. So I notice the connecting word that introduces this section is not therefore, as it was in verse 5. Rather, it is but now. Hmm. How does it connect with the previous, with what came previously? 
The but now is a connection, but of contrast against the former domain of darkness from which you were delivered, characterized by its sinful lusts and, and predilections. This is not a checklist of works you must perform for acceptance with God. Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now that you exist in this parallel universe or this parallel world, you must put away all these. It won't happen all at once, most likely, but will be an ongoing fight to put off all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. The first three words describe an attitude of anger and ill will towards others, both anger and wrath. Are, uh, the word translated for wrath are closely related and probably interchangeable. Malice implies ill intent, as does the fourth word, slander. Slander carries with it the idea of abusive speech intended to injure or undermine. The last word in the list of five is obscene talk. And that indicates the end, I think, the end or the outcome of these habits of your former life. The attitude of anger and wrath gives birth to malice and slander, then to obscene talk from, from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew twelve thirty four, Put off from your mouth these by guarding your heart. Gives, given such a slippery slope, it's no wonder that the next command, do not lie to one another, uh, is connected. Once our capacity for charitable thoughts has been eclipsed by anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk, can lying be far behind? Point three. But the command, do not lie, is grounded in dual realities which have happened to all of you. And this is point three in outline. Two actions that ground the previous two commands, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The mystery is being revealed about our metamorphosis into a parallel universe known as new life in, in Christ. You have past tense, Put off the old self, just as you have, past tense, died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
or you have, past tense, put on the new self, just as you have been raised with Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. I want you to see this as the truest reality you know. See it sparkle and shine with an iridescent beauty showering you from the throne. Those old emotions of cynicism that led to anger, wrath, malice, etc., belong to the old self that has been put off like, an, like a worn-out outfit. Yes, it felt comfortable and familiar, but it no longer fits. Live in what you have put on, the new self. As Paul says in Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. So I exhort you to walk in Christ whom you have put on to pursue being renewed in knowledge after Jesus, who is the image of the Creator God. You are loved by Jesus, who died in your place and rose from the dead to transport you into a new dimension of life hidden with him. He will never leave you or forsake you, Fixing your hearts and affections on Jesus and his everlasting love for you will empower you to shed your old self like the remnants of an old cocoon. I think this is what the Scottish preacher Thomas Chalmers referred to as the expulsive power of a new affection your heart full of affection for Jesus will expel competing desires. Now we're ready to look at verse 11, the last in this section, which starts with the word here. To what does that refer? I think it's important because what follows is another list of five groups or contrasting categories which are not here. We can safely say that that the reference to here refers to the new realm, the domain of life in Jesus, the parallel universe I've described. The list that follows is meant to reveal something about this former, uh, reveal something about what was formerly hidden. So let's look at the characteristics of this new universe. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Notice there are three contrasting pairs or categories of peoples. Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, 
slave and free. And then two other groups are added, barbarians and Scythians. What does Paul mean that here in this new realm, in this new kingdom, there are not these groups or categories? Because Paul is certainly aware that within most of the, the assemblies that he's familiar with, most assemblies of believers, there are Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, since he's spoken on this elsewhere. His point cannot even be that distinctions do not exist once a person is joined to the church. Notice, too, that the form of this verse is, there is not, but Christ is all and in all. I'm going to suggest that what Paul argues is that the new assembly of redeemed ones, there are not group divisions that exist, that existed in the old life. The new community is much more than individuals transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Although, according to Colossians 1.13, that's true. But we need to think beyond our individualistic mindset to what God is building. Paul is addressing a community of redeemed ones as a group, since most of the pronouns are plural, So here in this new invisible or hidden assembly, this hidden kingdom, the former group divisions no longer exist. That's what I'm arguing. That's what I think Paul is arguing for. Differences without divisions, but unity. So ethnic divisions, Greek and Jew, have ceased to exist. We are one people, a chosen race. Groups formerly divided by religious practice, circumcised and uncircumcised, are now being built into a royal priesthood. Divisions between socioeconomic or even oppressed, oppressor groups, slave-free, have ended. Even class or cultural status uh, that used to separate barbarian, Scythian, have, taken, have been taken off like old clothes. We are a holy nation. Now, the Scythians are mentioned only here in the New Testament, So what we know about them, we have to learn from outside the Bible. But extra-biblical sources seem uh, seem to have the common sentiment that Scythians were, quote, the epitome of unrefinement and savagery. A group uh, who most would be tempted to look down on so think, for example, of the demon-possessed man in the country of the Gerizines and living among the tombs whom Jesus healed. 
This is Mark 5 or Luke 8. Would you have prejudged this man? Do you prejudge others based on what group or category you perceive them to be in? If you assume someone in the body of Christ to have either special access to God, God's grace, or are somehow restricted access to God's grace based on the group you think they, they identify with, and this could apply to you, then Christ is not all and in all. Take that attitude off and put on the life of Christ. These old categories of division are not part of the new kingdom. Here, there are no such group divisions. So I want to close uh, with an application by way of illustration from my life. Um, I am a third-generation believer in Jesus Christ. Now that pause was intentional And I assume many of you filled that pause with something else. Indeed, I'm also a a third-generation Japanese-American. However, as a result of seeing the beauty and glorious brilliance of Jesus in this text and parallels in Ephesians 4, Romans 6, and the end of Galatians 3, I've had to take off my old identity and put on Christ as my primary identity. I still enjoy honoring elderly, uh, eating rice almost every day, or making homemade sushi. But my primary identity is in Christ and the camaraderie and fellowship and collegiality I enjoy with other Jesus followers is a direct result of putting off my old self and putting on the new self. Just to put the other bookend on this message, let me quote from the pinnacle text of last week. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So several weeks ago, Damien Leverett spoke Ephesians chapter 3 to us during, during our worship service, and one verse just nailed me. Ephesians 3.10. Let me quote what he said. The purpose of this enlightenment is that through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God should now be disclosed to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. What a verse. Through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God should now be disclosed. As we seek to enjoy more of the glorious and brilliant perfections of Jesus together, don't lose heart that you only catch slivers and flashes of light. Seek out others who see different facets of this light shining from Jesus. None of us will see all of the facets of this flashing diamond of his perfections. We will all 
enjoy more, though, if we see them together. Let's all seek to enjoy more of Jesus by, one, putting to death all the disordered desires from our old life, or two, putting away all anger, wrath, and ill will that used to come out of your mouth. And three, remember that our old self has already been put off and the new self put on in Christ. Here in this new kingdom, our differences must not divide, but rather unite and enhance our pursuit of joy in Jesus. So let me pray. Father in heaven, seal these truths to our very souls. May we never again see ourselves as slaves to desires that ruled us before Jesus transformed us and transferred us from that old domain of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. May our differences in ethnicities, backgrounds, social status, economic or educational levels never again be reason to separate or divide, but instead be motivations to see your glorious and flashing perfections from each other's perspectives. Grant that our joy in you increases as you encourage our hearts. And I pray this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.